Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. I'm a blur with a love of artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a writer and blurred with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a DC production, compare it to its original source material, and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This season, we're getting whelmed for DC's greatest sidekicks and covering every episode of Young Justice on... Yeah, another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That was the year. Two, count them, two volcano movies were in development. Dante's Peak and Volcano. <laughs> it was I, a real hot year for lava. I don't know. Oh! Let's <laughs> <laughs> see what you did there. I'll see what you did there. <laughs> Full disclosure, I do not remember if I've seen either. Like, Dante's Peak, I feel like I probably saw on Channel 11 at some point. Volcano, I'm not too sure of. Can you guess, for bonus points, can you guess which one of those has Don Cheadle and Keith David? I bet this is a trick question. I bet it's both. No, it's not both. (laughs) Damn. All right. In that case, I'm going to say... Don Cheadle was in Volcano, but Keith David was in Dante's Peak. Ah, so close. Don Cheadle was in Volcano, but it was actually Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton Ah. in Dante's Peak. Uh, The prize, you have to watch both of these movies now. That's your prize. (laughs) Great. It's going to be a hot boy weekend, I guess. Well, why are we talking about volcanoes? Well, because in one of our episodes today, we are be talking about everything that's rocking and rolling and heating up for our team of Young Justice as we're continuing the coverage of the entire series. We are now in the second half of season one. Things have been revealed as we as a callback to our episode 14 title Revelation. Um, the team, we get a chance to learn more about them in a lot of these other episodes that also include humanity, failsafe, and disordered. And because of the fact that we are talking about a lot of big updates to this team and also about volcanoes, I feel it's appropriate to ta- have this episode title for us today, Big Moves. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a geo-force of a... No, that doesn't work. <laughs> keep going before they notice i can't make jokes (laughs) all right well we are since we are talking about um the young justice series this time around we do not have any comics for this season part of the season so we're going to be sticking around for what was happening for the team between october 1st to october 23rd uh it looks like they did not get a columbus day break from school so i don't know what was happening that year Uh, i don't know what other holidays are in october during this time but i feel like I feel like something also happens. Uh, oh, Comic-Con. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, Comic-Con. New York City Comic-Con. National yeah. holiday. <laughs> it should be. Petition for that to be a national holiday. Yeah. I think Thanksgiving, if you're in Canada, I'm pretty sure. At some time around here. Okay. That's new. 
Well, thank you, Canadians. Um, <laughs> all right, so our cast list is as follows. We do have a pretty robust list today as we are introducing so many new characters. Um, starting off, we have Nolan North, who is our Superboy of the series. However, he is pulling double duty for a couple of these episodes as he is also performing as the magician Satara. Uh, we have Party of Five and Mean Girl Star, who is no longer mean to this party that she's joining, as Lacey Chabert is joining the team as Zatanna. Steve Bloom, this the the list is too long. We do not have enough time in this podcast <laughs> to cover through his entire like resume. But um, you know, the voice of Toonami's Tom is here today as Count Vertigo in the Revelation episode. DC Animation, I feel just love sending this man his blank check as we have the late Miguel Ferreira, uh, who's providing the voice in a brief shot as Vandal Savage. She's the boss. Um, if you were, if you know, since that was a question in the 80s, um, she is a charmed sister as we have Alyssa Milano, who is Poison Ivy in our Revelation episode. Now, Masasa Moyo is a voice that we've actually heard quite a few times. She was Tracy and Bumblebee, apparently, in the Teen Titans Judas Contract movie that we watched. Oh, okay. Throwback, throwback. And actually, since then, she's been pretty much the voice of Bumblebee, at least in this series, as she's reprising the role later on in the show. But today, she is the voice of Cat Grant, the reporter, through a bunch of episodes. Uh, This was a couple more we have is Joker. He is, um, you know, for Star Trek fans out there, Brett Spiner is his name in real life. He was Data, as well as Brackish Okun in the Independence films, which I think we personally love on this podcast for some reason (laughs) uh next up we have from the popular show coach to moving down under to bikini bottom we got bill no this is patrick fader bouquet as bear um sorry if i butchered that name andrew i know you're a fan of this show (laughs) oh yeah my number one uh you know me i say demon slayer patrick star and then succession that's that's the order i watch them (laughs) And finally, to wrap it up, uh, she's been the voice of many badass women um, throughout animation. Uh, so she's been the voice of Black Widow and Gamora in Marvel animation. She's the voice of Hera in Star Wars. Uh, I think that's Star Wars Rebels. And she's also been the voice of Wonder Woman for quite many productions. Today, Vanessa Marshall provides the sonic screen for Dinah Lance, a.k.a. Black Canary, a role that is actually her first time voicing this character. And since then, she's been on and off been playing Dino Lance and a bunch of other animated productions. Well, she is fantastic at it. So happy to hear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now that we have gone through our cast list, we have um, learned a little bit of volcanoes. It's time to Zeta tube over to the beginning of our first episode, Revelation. Right away, there it's clear there's a vine comp in the city, but not the fun one because there are magical vines just wrecking the city. And don't worry, you don't have to worry about who did it for too long because the Injustice League introduces itself, says we have multiple cities underneath our grasp. There is no time limit to our huge ass ransom, but if you don't pay it, we're going to destroy everything. So there's only one thing to do. Send a bunch of kids to handle it. Oh, yes. We're taking the Power Rangers approach here. Send some teenagers an attitude because Batman comes through and reveals that while the rest of the Justice League faces off against all the plant vines happening around the world, he thought it'd be appropriate that they send their covert team of teenage superheroes to take down this Justice League that consists of Count Vertigo, Black Adam, Poison Ivy, Ultra Humanite, Atomic Skull, Wotan, and of course the clown prince of crime himself who 
is providing a little bit of commentary about how cool they look in their action pose uh, Joker. Yeah, the team is like, okay, this is the big league stuff. We got a big assignment here. So they're on the bio ship, just cruising into the bayou where the the signal is located, um, where the main plant and vine is coming from. And surprisingly, didn't expect this, but Count Vertigo is the one that disrupts the ship so much that they go off course and with a little help from Black Adam, who, as we learned from the movie, is not a hero. Um, <laughs> he doesn't wear a cape, guys. <laughs> he uh, helps him get acquainted with the ocean. And I do love a quick aside from Artemis where she goes, I'm not drowning three missions in a row. <laughs> so <laughs> she has a little um, air canister prepared and that allows them to get to surface. But they're not out of the woods yet, literally, because Robin and Miss Martian go into the woods while the rest of the team has to give the Injustice League the business. I think that's actually in reverse because the Injustice League was showing that they are not afraid to whoop some kid's ass. It was clear that the team here was a little bit out of their element. Thankfully, though, Calder being who he is, he was able to figure out the best course of action. So as we mentioned, Miss Martian and Robin, they head on off to figure to find the home spot of the plant which has been treated with cobra venom. So it's a nice callback to what's been happening this entire season. While, honestly, I don't think I've ever seen Superboy take so many rocks to the face. Like, and I mean that pun because of Shazam. I mean, not Shazam. Black Adam basically punches Superboy in the face so hard. My man is flying through the woods. Yeah, this is uh, one of the biggest physical challenges Superboy has had up to this point. And plus... He also has a weakness to magic. So you know those punches are extra, hitting extra hard. In between this, a- these action scenes, we're getting a lot of vignettes. So we're seeing Captain Adam absorb the fallout of a nuclear tower that got destroyed by vines. You see Guy Gardner doing something useful and catching a school bus with his Green Lantern powers. Joker mentions that he's good at juggling multiple scenarios around the world because he juggles multiple personalities. And all I'll say about that is that's why Harley Quinn has the psychology degree and you don't, Mr. J. And Robin and Miss Martian finally get closer, but now they encounter Poison Ivy. Luckily, Robin can make like Tarzan and do a few moves, but things are going badly overall for the heroes and both the kids and the adult heroes around the world. Yeah, I do appreciate seeing a lot of this stuff so um we do see that some of the heroes especially i think my favorite had to be zatara who cast a spell that basically put the plant in like a biodome almost (laughs) but it was able to separate it from the rest of it so as this is all happening um robin and miss martian when they face off against poison ivy we also come face to face with ultra humanite this injustice league is just so incredibly powerful in comparison to these kids so they eventually, unfortunately, um, the rest of the team do get captured. And that's the team consisting of Superboy, Wolf, Artemis, and um, Calder. And I did like this um, moment where we do realize that the Justice League also has a magician on their side with Woltan. Um, Woltan puts them in a cell, like a, like a, it's like, it looks like a prison of gold, honestly. Yeah, I was thinking it was like a yellow lantern prison for a second. Yeah. And I like the fact that Calder mentions that, like, hey, um, Wotan, you're not the only one with a magical ability. 
as he tries to use his magical powers to break out. Unfortunately, it's not enough. And as it seems that like all is lost for our heroes here, while the rest of the um the adult heroes are just like trying to save the world, but like barely hardly making it through, we do find out that this Martian was able to make contact with like honestly the wild card, the Dave's Machina bioship who fought back against the vines that was dragging her down into the bayou and was able to get back out and hit Wotan's with full force, knocking him out, causing him to be distracted, giving our heroes a chance to um, escape from the cage. What What's great about this episode overall is how much things yo-yo back and forth between who has the upper hand. And here, they escape the cage... And it looks pretty good for them because Superboy hates monkeys and Ultra Humanite is a big one of the biggest monkeys you can punch. <laughs> um, we get a weird line from Artemis where she goes, she has lost her bow and arrow. So she goes, I feel naked and not in a good way. And I'm like, uh, you're 18, right? I don't want to hear that from anybody younger. And we get and just the battle goes back and forth. Kid Flash gets obliterated for a second like he gets smacked by black adam it is a wonder he's not adams and artemis uh, eh, eh. Yeah, okay <laughs> the pun game is strong today um <laughs> artemis also impressively she always she has blown me away consistently in these episodes but without a bow and arrow just her bare fist she gives poison ivy mm-hmm. the smoke come on now um unfortunately all of their efforts are not enough they are, they are outmatched by these upper league villains. So Aqualad mentioned he had a plan B earlier, and now he reveals exactly what that is. Yes, and it is a very shocking plan B because this plan B was him bringing a duffel bag. But in this duffel bag, it's revealed that he has the helmet of fate, the helmet that is used by Dr. Fate. And this shakes Wally to his core because he's like, he knows what happens as soon as you put on that helmet. He knows that if you put it on, there's a possibility that Nabu, um, the spirit within the helmet, will not let you go. Kid Flash, unfortunately, is not fast enough to stop Calder from putting on the helmet, turning Calder into Dr. Fate. And this is a drastic shift in the battle here because, of course, Dr. Fate heads on over to engage Wotan in a battle of magic. There's just so many scenes in which Wotan cannot keep up with this Lord of Order which gives, fortunately, the rest of the team the upper hand to finally be able to get into the main area where the plant is at and try to be able to start shutting it down. And amazingly, Robin, with approximately every bomb in the bat cave, (laughs) is able to blow up the vines, disrupt the central control, leaving them to fight the villains even more. So Joker is like, Wonder Boy, you're mine, wants to carve the bird. Um, Artemis tries to hit Vertigo. It's all out mayhem um, until the League arrives, which pretty much the villains are like, nah, we don't want any of this at all. (laughs) But to wrap things up, Dr. Fate comes in with the most badass line of them all, where he comes forward and goes, Fate has intervened and does some powerful magic. Uh, it, it, It is stunning and great to see so the heroes win the day um batman rewards this was the uh this was the scene in which like which i gotta say was a really cool plan yeah in which joker 
Um, of course, we knew that the plant was affected by cobra venom. Um, so I think also throughout the entire episode, we see how Poison Ivy's distraught about this. But what we also didn't realize is that Joker put in some Joker venom into that. So we have this wild mix of just like venom being sent out and not even the good kind. Um, I, I don't know what's the good kind of venom. Out there. <laughs> but that scene, I agree, that scene where aqua aqua fate um he like absorbs all of that dust cloud just showing how powerful the helmet of fate really is but also possibly calder himself because of the fact that he has that magical ability i i, I agree i love sorry i just like really love that scene because it shook batman and when you shake batman to his core you know shit's about to fall apart yeah he was genuinely scared his friends would be yeeted into existence non-existence so after this narrow save, Batman lets the team know, you know what, your performance, satisfactory. <laughs> That's pretty much all you get um, from Bats. Uh, and luckily, Dr. Fate, with the help of Kent Nelson inside the hel helmet, does decide to release Aqualad. And this hopeful note is overshadowed by one little thing. The reveal that that the Injustice League was only a distraction for another team of villains that includes the likes of Vandal Savage and Rachel Ghoul. And they have bigger plans. And them Injustice League getting caught and being spotlighted as the only evil team was part of the plan. So they're still not out of hot water yet, but this was a big victory for the team overall. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And speaking of hot water, it's time to talk about volcanoes as we jump on over to our next episode, Humanity, where we kind of pick up where it was um, the episode in which we had to deal with the fact that the team had to fight off against Red's, I don't know, brothers and sister counterparts. Basically, Red Torpedo and Red Inferno have returned. He, um, they are with Tio Morrow, their creator. And the most shocking thing of all is that Red Tornado has returned home, quote unquote, and he's been completely disassembled. We basically see that he, he's he been taken apart like Sid takes apart his toys in Toy Story. And it's shocking to see that, like, um, as he's called a prodigal son, that, like, um, how, like, torn apart Red Tornado was looking, where we jump back over to the team who, um, speaking about Wally getting the work in that last episode, he unfortunately breaks his arm, which actually a little callback to that episode. Um, Artemis is the one who helps bandage him up. So it's a little bit of that relationship building that we have already seen and been calling out in the past couple of episodes in which like in the past, you know, Wally showed that he has like some kind of interest in Artemis, you know, as, as Kent Nelson would say, his spitfire. So now that to see that moment in which she's caring for Wally is pretty was pretty cool. But uh, of course, in this next episode, she completely starts calling him out for a lot of his not keeping up with training, even with the broken arm. Yeah, he has Shazam flying him smoothies and all kinds of nachos and food. And as he's enjoying a life of luxury, Zatara shows up with his daughter Zatanna. Robin wastes no time. He sees the writing on the wall. He sees everyone's getting paired up. So my man, Acro Bats, use, maybe he's borrowed the speed force to get to Zatanna <laughs> as quickly as possible to shoot his shot, um, which luckily seems to have worked out very well. While, they are, while Zatanna is coming in, this sparks a discussion, a psychic discussion amongst the team 
about what they should really be doing instead of hanging out in the base. And they all collectively decide they really want to see what's going on with Red Tornado. He was their den mother. He let them have freedom, let them have room to make mistakes. So they really want him back. And upon finding out that their the investigation is kind of stalled, they essentially kidnapped Zatanna. Um, she agrees to it mm-hmm. uh, to go after Red Tornado. And as they're leaving, Black Canary and Zatara are like, where are they going? And she's like, oh, probably just Happy Harbor, the next town over. But you can see Black Canary clearly knows that the kids are off to save Red Tornado, who we get to see a little bit more of because uh, and also notice that he has this. There's going to be two points, but this is the first point. He has some airbender tattoos going on, doesn't he? Master airbender arrows on his head. Oh, he does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting, Young Justice. You premiered after Avatar. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Very suspicious. But we also get to see another conversation between him and Dr. Ivo. Wow. I mean, sorry. Not Dr. Oh. Ivo. Uh, him and... Uh... Wait, is it Dr. No, no. Uh, Tio Maro. Tio Maro. Ivo was the other one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do love this because it was like, you know, it's one. I love a good flashback scene that's in sepia. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's that's the appropriate um, color scheme that we should move forward now. I think black and white is done. I think sepia gives the proper demonstration of what's it like back in the day. We are too far into the future to be working with black and white anymore. I mean, hey, if if somebody disagrees, come at me. Uh, So we learned that Tio Morrow I was a brilliant scientist who um, he wanted to build his own superhero so that it could infiltrate and destroy the Justice Society of America. <laughs> Worse than Black Adam 2022. Ayo. <laughs> so he, he started first with um, the hero that he named Red Torpedo. So we've met Red Torpedo. He's the one that deals with the... Um, it has the water bending ability, and Red Torpedo looked like a human. He looked like a. Um, he was saying how he he was he programmed him even to think that he was a human being. However, the programming was too wasn't like enough. So like he he was missing out on that human component of being able to fit in. Um. So next up, he was like, "All right, well, going to scrap that one. I am now going to make um a new hero called Firebrand. This was a woman who had the ability to control fire, and it seemed like she was about to join the Justice Society and even won over Jay Garrick, who was the uh, Justice Society's version of the Flash. Unfortunately for him, though, once again, because Firebrand was thinking that she was human and thinking that she was a hero she jumped in to a during an enemy attack and it was revealed during that time that she was a robot who was shot and killed on site in front of the entire justice society now this is where um tio Maro decided you know what i am just going to not deal with trying to make my androids think that they're human but instead i'm going to make my androids know that they're android and that's how they how that's how we got red tornado and it worked uh red tornado wanted to be a hero he 
was able to join the Justice Society. He was the first android to ever become a superhero, even had his own cape and all. Unfortunately, like the rest of his creations, um, their goal of wanting to be a hero was too strong, so they did not. So Red Tornado did not um, take down the Justice Society and instead actually took down Tio Amaro. So he's been pretty upset about this this entire time, which is why Tio Amaro decided that he's never going to do this again, and by which we mean create an android that was that wanted to save the world. He's now working on this new android that wants to just see the world burn. And it's fitting because it's mm-hmm. a volcano-based um, android, and Red Volcano is its name. And immediately, I was getting real Dr. Giro vibes from Dragon Ball Z, mm-hmm. building androids that you're like, eh, pretty sure I can control these and get revenge. It does backfire because backfire. See, another. I'm. I don't know why. Oh, I'm you're on so fire. High. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's crazy today. So Volcano immediately rips. Morrow's robot arms off. That's right, because Morrow is actually a robot this, and has been this entire time he was monologuing. And Volcano lets his brothers and sister know that they are about to just destroy the world by blowing up Yellowstone and creating a red army to take care, red ribbon army, maybe, to take over the world. Someone in this episode has watched a lot of anime and cartoons. Uh, one of the writers, at least. They, they knew who they were writing for. <laughs> like, these guys right here, Andrew and Shamar, they're going to know this. <laughs> Red Ribbon. We get it. So as they're, as we now know the evil scheme, what they're planning, we come back to the, the young heroes. Robin's still shooting his shot with Satana. It's still working. I'm, I'm here for you, my boy. But we get this really stirring conversation between Aqualad and Superboy because at this point, because they're still a traitor in their midst, Superboy isn't really feeling trying to save Red Tornado. We kind of w- would prefer if he just could kill him. And Aqualad hits him back with, even if he's evil, doesn't he deserve the chance to prove he was, wasn't the weapon that he was made to be? Mm-hmm. Ex- you know, tying it back. And that really gives Superman pause uh, for obvious reasons. So it, it really is a nice way of tying everything back to the beginning of the series and using it to really advance the plot forward and to have Superboy put aside his rage to really try and save him. And it's a good thing he does because now it's Red Tornado versus the team. And man, um, you know, we have talked about the fact that Red Tornado, you know, is a powerful being. He is able to, you know, just create a bunch of random little tornadoes here. And the team gets like taken down really quickly from this. Fortunately, though, they decide that to the best way in order to take him down is trying to, you know, use their own abilities against him. Like Kid Flash tries to create his own tornadoes. Unfortunately, once again, um, the air bending is too powerful with red tornadoes. So he easily takes down every single one of them. You know, this leads into what looks like could be the final blow for every single person. And this also includes Zatanna, who um, who helped them earlier to find out where Red Tornado was going to be, be at because um, they were able to, she was able to use her magical ability to um, force Professor Ivo to reveal the location. And as every single one of our heroes is down for the count, we see that Red Volcano has come up from 
basically just appeared. And he's just like, all right, time to finish him off, which shows that Red Tornado has a little bit of hesitation because um, which Red Volcano immediately reveals this was all a trick. Red Tornado, he kept on to his programming, kept on to being that hero. And this heroism was shown because Red Tornado using his the tornadoes that he used to quote unquote attack the team to actually etch into the ground, play dead, so that he could use that opportunity to try to see if he could stop his brother. And I love this scene because I didn't even think that this is where they were going with that, nor did I think didn't even think that was possible for him to write out like on that. Like I'm trying to figure out like that was just to me, it was just like really great. Um, scenes because it was just like I was so distracted after especially seeing in the last episode how badly the team lost against like these more adult heroes and now it is again they're losing against a more adult hero and it's clear so I was just so focused on that that I didn't even see think of the possibility that Red Tornado was just like hey I'm working alongside you and I'm not the traitor that you think I am I'm trying to save the world so help me to help you yeah and it's also worth mentioning that uh this whole time, Red Tornado's voice box has been disabled. Mm-hmm. So this was a, a, another layer to how smart this move was. Um, so Volcano decides to step in. Some fantastic dialogue for the next <laughs> five minutes uh, that includes, like, Volcano saying, "No, ch- you have no chance, humans, which Miss Martian and Superboy are mad about because they're like, we're aliens. And he goes, all right, I'll need a more inclusive term. Meat bags. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. At one point, um, Robin says to Zatanna, I bet you have good moves. And like, oh, to Wally. And she goes, hey, I don't mind. My boy. My Robin. boy is batting 100 for 100 today. You know what the R stands for on his costume? <laughs> Riz. Pure Riz. <laughs> 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 I'm proud of myself. I just learned what that was yesterday. <laughs> we keep up. We keep up. We keep up. Um, Zatanna uses a clone Wally spell that she usually uses to sneak out of the house, apparently. Um, and all of this is good, but the volcano is still going off until they get some unexpected help from two allies. Yes. The other our other brother and sister here, Red Torpedo and Red Inferno. Earlier, we saw that Red Tornado thought it'd be best that, again, they too were heroes. So he knows that, like, by Red Volcano initiating this volcanic eruption in Yellowstone was going to turn it into a, I think it was called a level three super category volcanic explosion. Basically, we would have been, this would have created another, like, a scenario in which one of the many scenarios we believe had the dinosaurs were killed. But think about that for all of humanity. So he was just like, we have the ability to stop him. You know, he may have a combination of our powers, but to, but we are together way better than he is. And we are all heroes. This is what our, despite our father wanting us to infiltrate and destroy the heroes, he still gave us this, this like a, this knowledge of wanting to save humankind. So they jump in, they are giving him the work. There's this one little great scene in which uh, some water t- hits uh, Red Volcano, especially hard. Robin turns back to Aqualad. I was just like, yo, that was a great hit. And Aqualad was like, that's not my water. <laughs> so as they are starting to give Red Volcano the work, unfortunately, Red Volcano does get a bit of the upper hand because he already started the chain reaction that was needed 
to start the volcano. So as he's doing so, this leads into um, Red Torpedo and Red Inferno to grab Red Volcano and throw him into the um, into the molten lava. And they hold on to him while they're in this lava to make sure that he can't escape. All while Red Torpedo, sorry, Red Tornado um, uses his abilities of that creating, like basically turning himself into a top to keep pushing Red Volcano down. And this scene was crazy because, like, if you are a fan of Terminator Two, that whole scene with the the lava and everything, it was very reminiscent of that because we are seeing as they are holding down Red Volcano, pulling him deeper and deeper into the hot lava. You can see that each of them are just melting, trying to save the world. Yeah, and I love I love a good last villain line, especially if they're not like a one-off. If they're a one-off villain, I love a great last line. And Volcanoes is, father would have been so disappointed mm-hmm. as he, he and his siblings burn up. Except Red Tornado, who was saved at the last minute. And the hero's like, we still have a big problem. That volcano is going to erupt. Can you do something about this? And that's when... Red Tornado steps forward, not literally because his legs are gone, um, <laughs> and manages to funnel Lieutenant out. Dan, you ain't got no legs. <laughs> it's a real Dan situation. <laughs> so he manages to siphon the smoke uh, from the volcano into the atmosphere safe, safely so that um, no one is harmed by the fumes. Is this similar to a scene where Aang the airbender did the same thing and stopped the volcano in the series? <laughs> or when Roku did the same thing two seasons later? I'll leave you to decide if oh, they God. stole this. <laughs> so I guess the better question now is who had the better um anime anime inspirations? This episode <laughs> of Young Justice or all of Creek 3? <laughs> That's for you to decide. I'm I'm not gonna wait in, but you either way you don't lose watching either. So after this uh, blatant copyright theft, um, Young Tornado, <laughs> <laughs> the the team is repairing Tornado in the lab, and they have a nice conversation with him about um, where they realize he is in the mole, first of all. And then they also think, you know, why were you chosen? And he says, well, I don't sleep. I don't have a second life to worry about. So that's, I'm just the best choice. And they go, no, it's deeper than that because there must be something other than those reasons. And they eventually pieced together that he wanted to become more human. He wanted to understand what was, what was it was to be like to be human. And the young team was like, yeah, the justice league, they're a bunch of stiffs Mm -hmm. hanging around teenagers. That's the way to go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As we wind up this plot line, Retro says there is one thing he has to do, which leads to one of the most shocking beats of this episode. Yes, so we have heard so much about Tio Maro being the father of these Reds. So we see that at the end of it, he actually goes over to where the real Tio Maro is. Red Tornado is fully repaired. He got his voice box back, legs are back, cape is back. So he's able to find his father who's been bedridden um, in this like secret location. And he shares with him that despite being evil, despite the fact that he created Red Tornado to be this supervillain, that's all okay with him because he knows who he is now. He understands that, you know, Superboy has said earlier, he's practically a meatbag. Um, <laughs> so he says that despite all of this, he vows to 
to tend to him during this, like during his moments, his last moments in life, because it's the human thing to do. Yeah. And it's really, it's really beautiful to end it here because, you know, obviously T.R. Morrow had all these very sinister intentions. So mm -hmm. to see him show some kindness to his creator is really special. And then just so it's not too heavy of an ending, they end with Sitara promising to ground his daughter forever. And considering <laughs> his level of magic, he could definitely pull that off. Oh, yes. You know, hopefully she'll have a chance to at least hang out with Robin again. I'm pretty sure they'll all be grounded after this. Um, and speaking of grounded, I guess we kind of have to ground ourselves here as we're head into close this episode to head into our next one, Failsafe. And my mistake about talking about grounded because we are in space. Uh, we are all up in space. We have Batman who is in a spacecraft joined by Green Lanterns, Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart. They are intercepting what looks like a passenger ship of some sort out in space. They are telling the ship to identify itself. And it quickly identifies that it is a threat to humankind or meatbag kind, I guess, as it immediately attacks Hal and John and supposedly kills them on sight. Yeah, and they're not the only ones because Superman also gets got in this uh, crazy fray. And Batman, though he tries his best to maneuver with his jet, is also taken out. Uh, it also looks like Mar Martian Manhunter is down for the count. So things are not looking particularly good for this alien invasion. We even go on the ground and Iris is taken out. Icon is taken out. So that one hurt, yo. Yeah, <laughs> Icon. Come on. Ah, and he still needs more screen time. Burr, give my man some dialogue. <laughs> so the young heroes are watching this very, very soberly. And they, they go like, what are we waiting for? A theme song? We need to get out there and take care of business. So they find that one ship has broken off and is hovering over the Fortress of Solitude. So they make their way over there in hopes that they can get some kind of technology, some kind of advantage, Independence Day style, over the rest of the ships. And to do so, they all dress in the cool-ass stealth white costumes. Let's go! Word. I feel like they all had those jackets that when you press the button, it heats you up. I feel like yeah. this is where that technology came from. I love this. I also do want to point out real quick that um, when they find out about the, when they inform the team about the, for the Fortress of Solitude, uh, Superboy is surprised to even hear about this because he didn't know it existed. Of course, at this point, Superboy and Superman are still quite distant because of the fact that Superboy, from the way he was created, Superman just doesn't trust him. And when he finds out about this Fortress of Solitude and the fact that it exists, but he can never ask Superman about any more details about it because now he's gone it kind of is a strong note here of just like once again how we i guess i a little bit so far because it's like we've seen connor create an identity for himself these past couple episodes and but then now it's like there's still a large part of him that he still doesn't even know and that we don't even know so as he's heading on over to the fortress of solitude which i guess technically he inherits just because of the fact of super strength yeah <laughs> um they do find that there is one of the alien ships that is stationed out there and Artemis and um, Aqualad, they start the attack to take out some of the um, things on it, such as the communications array, any kind of thing to help it from seeing anything else and also making sure that whatever is in it is trapped inside by making sure to seal the entire thing shut. 
which Superboy uses this as an opportunity to try and get the um the the mechanism that's on top of the ship off of it so that they can find out some more details about it. Unfortunately, as he's pulling on this thing, it produces another screen that that is about to emit this like disintegration ray that's been hitting the rest of the heroes. And at that moment, Wolf jumps in, pushes Superboy out the way, and takes the hit himself. And Wolf is just gone right in front of us. Yeah, it's it's shocking because they do react, but they they're just so tied up in it that they can't really stop and absorb what happened. And now they're trying to get out of there with the technology to incorporate it into the bio ship to turn the bio ship into a weapon that can defeat the other ships. But unfortunately, on the way, Artemis is down facing two ships and credit where credit is due. She took down two spaceships with two arrows. But in the process, she is also disintegrated. So now we have the team is down a member. Wally is beyond distressed, but they realize they need to keep going. So the remaining, the surviving team arrives in next to the Hall of Justice, where the army is trying to hold off these aliens. And they make an incredible entrance Mm. (laughs) as they come in guns blazing. And they introduce themselves as, look, we're still out here. We're still fighting. And one person calls Superboy Superman. And he's like, no, I'm not that. And the guy guy goes, you know what? You wear the S and get the job done. Good enough. So now we're at this juncture where the heroes are trying to find out what they can do, how they can come back. And they're going through the destroyed Hall of Justice. And... They find out that one person survived and it's actually not a person. It's more of a meat bag because Martian Manhunter <laughs> is under the rubble and he has some slight amnesia going on. Yeah, I do like this one scene here, too, especially because of the fact that um, as they pulled Martian Manhunter out, this Martian who's been kind of like distraught these past couple of scenes because of the fact that she lost her friend Vardimus, she immediately tries to go on over to, to hug her uncle Aqualad jumps in and just says, hey, wait, we need to check and confirm because it is weird that all these people were just gone. And we saw that Martian Manhunter was hit by the ray. He was one of the first heroes um, to be hit by the ray and and be unalive. So how is it that he's back now? And he can't provide an answer for it. So the team now just tries to create their own answers in which they're thinking, which with um, Kid Flash, he realizes that like, oh, the energy that's been coming off of these um these ships and hitting people and disintegrating them is the same energy that's been coming out from our zeta tubes so maybe this instead of this being a disintegration ray this is actually a teleportation ray and maybe they're keeping all the heroes somewhere else so realizing this they're like okay that the best course of action would be knowing that all of our heroes are good we just need to break them out is to head on over to try and see if we could create a new plan so that we're able to attack the the mothership so they decide to use to head back over to the hall of justice to use a teleporter that's there to get to the um to the to the to mount justice since this is a little bit closer to where the mothership is and where they come back face to face with the soldiers who they were um connected with as well and now they're like 
plotting. They're trying to figure out what's the best course of action. Obviously, being the heroes that they are, they think that it's best that given the fact that compared to them, the soldiers are civilians, the soldiers need to go first. But Eiling overrules that and tells them that the world can't lose any more heroes. So they start sending people through the Zeta 2, thanks to Martian Manhunter, who apparently you need an override code in order to use this Zeta tube. So people start heading over. There's some more crazy scenes, such as like this one, one soldier who was the first one to point out that Superboy might be Superman. Um, he gets hurt. So Superboy, in seeing that he's getting hurt when he's getting attacked by the, um, when they're all getting attacked by the aliens, he grabs him and throws him into the, um, into the Zeta suit to head over to Mount Justice, while the rest of the team and some of the soldiers are also making their way through, just trying to escape. Unfortunately, we do see that Aqualad is um, one of the last few to remain. He grabs General Eiling, who is a DC mainstay, grabs General Eiling, sends him through the um, the portal, and he yells out, this fight needs y'all more than it needs me, as we see that, unfortunately, Aqualad sacrifices himself to save the rest of them. This is another, obviously, devastating blow for them to lose their team leader. And, you know, Kid Flash is so optimistic they can get him back. But, again, is a little less optimistic because she said when the bioship got hit with the beams, it didn't feel like it was being transported. It felt like death. Mm -hmm. So Robin, despite this, still the only plan they have is to go to the mothership to have Superboy present as a distraction while the rest of them sneak in, infiltrate, destroy the ship. And there is some disagreement that if this should plan should be work, but they don't really have anything else to go on. So they broadcast a big speech across the world saying, you know, hope survives. Very Independence Day. Like. Yeah, like, <laughs> this is our Independence Day. Hope survives. The battle's not over. I love Alfred is in a cave somewhere yes. going, huzzah, huzzah. <laughs> he's, he's in it. So Superboy gets to the base. He yells out another great catchphrase. You want to see how a real alien fights? And he's uh, he's fighting valiantly. And while Robin, Kid Flash, Megan, and Manhunter get into the base, and it's here where we get the another shocking twist where Manhunter says, there, we don't feel anybody in here. Everyone who got hit by those beams is actually dead. This is when Wally also realizes Robin knew from the jump and lied to, so the team could get close, this close to destroying the base. Yeah. And it's a, it's a dark moment here um, because just when we're thinking that maybe they can at least, because they're inside, they're inside the base, they're heading to the final stage, but we do have to deal with one more loss as unfortunately Superboy, who's able to take down, I don't know what his what the count was, but he took down many. I mean, I feel like Legolas and um I'm forgetting the name of the dwarf right now. They would have been proud <laughs> give with, with this. Oh yeah, give him they would have been proud with his numbers. Unfortunately, he does get hit by a disintegration ray. Uh, Miss Martian feels it immediately and she alerts the rest of the team that they lost Connor. So they decide to finally complete the mission where Robin once again alongside with Kid Flash they plant a bunch of explosives around they basically pulled every single bomb that they could create in this DC universe and put it inside the ship and this is where they look over to um 
Miss Martian and Martian Manhunter to head on back out. And it's unspoken, but you know that Kid Flash and Robin are staying behind to make sure that everything gets shut down. Another very sad sacrifice right here. Yeah. And as Megan and Manhunter stand out, they're like, okay, at least the base main mothership was destroyed. Another mothership shows up, which, you know, now they're losing all hope. And Manhunter stops and goes, hey, I remember what I was supposed to tell you. And immediately kills Megan um, with uh, with one blow. This w- this leads to a jump where she wakes up and she looks around and sees all her friends are alive. Batman's alive. Everyone's alive. And it's revealed now that this entire episode was a simulation, a training simulation. They wanted to test how the team responded to failure. And they said... And it's so brilliant what they do to try to explain things that didn't make sense before. They said, don't you wonder why you didn't grieve when we were all gone? It's because you still had awareness that this was just a scenario. However, when Artemis died, that is when Megan forgot that it was a scenario and her emotions overrode everyone else's and everyone else also forgot that this was all just training. And the and anyone who died went into a coma. Um, so that's why Manhunter had to go inside the simulation and try to stop his niece. But he, too, was overwhelmed by her psychic powers. It is a great twist. It also gets revealed that this whole simulation was designed for them to fail no matter how many steps they go through. So it's a very Kobayashi Maru kind of set up here with um, for Star Trek fans out there kind of. Kind of a little callback as a lot of Star Trek references, I feel, in this episode, these episodes today. So, and that is why like, every single time that you felt like the team had the upper hand, it completely was taken away from them. So, this is where we get our final scene, in which is a, I'm not entirely too sure of the terminology for this. So, Andrew, please let me know if it's like when mm-hmm. someone is speaking about the, they're kind of like narrating what's happening or like you don't see them actually speaking, but you see, you hear them explaining the situation around them. And it's that conversation in which Batman and Martian Manhunter are sharing what happened and how that like, um, this is where Martian Manhunter reveals that he thought that he had control of it. But once McGann took it away from him, he realized that McGann might not only be stronger telepathically than him, but might be one of the strongest telepaths that he's ever encountered. Yeah. And um, it just ends on this note of all the team just broken and, and traumatized by what they had to experience. And that is the setting of our next episode. We go straight into it minutes, seems like minutes after it happened. Mm-hmm. And our final episode of the bunch disordered where the team is in shambles. Manhunter and Batman are still talking like, can't believe that happened. And Manhunter, you know, hits Batman hard with like trauma tends to linger, as I know you know, my friend. So this prompts them to bring in Black Canary, who is kind of the, in many mediums lately, has been like the unofficial psychologist for the Justice League. And she tries to talk to Superboy about the incident, about what happened. But he immediately walks out in their meeting 
And maybe it's for the best because there's some other stuff going on on the other side of the globe. So, yeah, we see that a uh, boom tube opens up and is carrying five individuals who are on this um, really wild ride, um, metaphorically and literally is a mm-hmm. giant, fantastic forward looking car. And at first they start speaking a little bit in a different language. But then um, uh, this is our I believe this is our first introduction of mother boxes within this series now. So they use a mother box and now we can understand what they're saying. And it's clear that they are, they've come here to find some devices that came from their world, which is revealed to be that they are new gods um, and that the new genosphere is on earth and they're here to retrieve it, which hops us back over to Mount Justice where Superboy is ready to just like exit this place he does. He's very upset still about what happened distraught about what happened he's upset about his conversation with black canary or lack thereof so as he's getting ready to head on his motorcycle sphere ends up stopping in front of him and uh, all of a sudden uh sphere just transforms like a robot in disguise and i remember even back when i first saw this i was not ready for that yeah like um god i can't believe i'm bringing this up the Halloween, Batman, <laughs> extreme, whatever movie we watch, where Batman's motorcycle could turn into a wolf for mm-hmm. some reason. <laughs> we have a similar thing going on here, where the spear becomes a flying motorcycle that has room for the wolf. Mm-hmm. So they ditch the base. We now get into the kind of running theme we're going to be cutting between his plot line and therapy sessions. So we get Artemis. Uh, talking to Black Canary, and Black Canary goes, you know, you it's time for you to trust the team and open up more because they still don't know you're not Green Arrow's niece. Um, you just, there's still a lot you're hiding back. And when she's trying to get in the core of like, why won't you tell them the truth? She kind of hits upon Artemis is really worried about what Wally thinks and how Wally perceives her. So she's been holding back some big truth. And again, we still don't know who the mole is. So this is a factor in our minds about what is going on with her. But as that's happening, Superboy runs into the forever people who immediately like, yo, that ride, it doesn't belong to you. We're, gonna, we're about to fight you to take it back. Mm-hmm. And before they can start scrapping, the uh, leader of the forever people are like, oh, yo, I just checked it out. He's not the thief. Literally everything is cool. Let's hang out with this dude. And I was like, that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> right? Can you imagine how if world problems could just be solved, you're like, oh, yeah, 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 he's good. He's good. He's cool people. <laughs> <laughs> so as they team up with um with Superboy here, we get a chance to learn a little bit more about them. Um, they start sharing about who they are, but we do jump over really quickly to um, Aqualad and his conversation with Black Canary, which honestly was one of my favorites because... um during this time he reveals how upset he is with his um his actions during the simulation he shares that he it was foolish of him as the leader of the team to behave so much like a soldier he was willing to sacrifice himself for the greater good and this is where he shares that he's deciding to resign as a team leader which prompts black canary to ask the question that is on all of our minds as soon as someone says that 
who's going to step up and take the mantle from you? And he goes through the whole list. He's like, he recognizes that Artemis is just too raw and untrusting, which is a nice callback to the fact that it's just like Artemis has not even trusted the team yet with her true identity. Kid Flash is also too rash and impulsive. The nice callback to impulse, I guess. But he is, he is, quite is. Miss Martian is too eager to please everybody. Superboy just has too much anger. So you can see that carrying it into um into how he interacts with the rest of the team and how they've been trying to grow from not being just people who just jump into action, but have some forethought and and just like really thinking through a plan, which obviously leaves the only person who could lead this team being Robin. But as soon as he says it, he's just like, but I can't do that. Robin is too young. I can't put that weight on anybody's shoulders at this age. Like, at, And just as a reminder, Robin is still... 13 years old at this point, I believe. Calder is a little, I guess, I think in about 16 or so. So when he says this, he immediately realizes that there's nobody on this team that he trusts enough to give the title of leader to. So he reluctantly withdraws his re- resignation as the team leader. Yeah. And this is, it's a really striking scene because you see how heavy his burden is. Mm-hmm. and what he's going to be carrying going forward. Um, it's a nice reminder for him. So now we'll go back to the Forever People mission where they were in a funny kind of twist. They're approaching this base where there's a bunch of stolen tech and Dreamer cast an illusion <laughs> where, um, you know, he's uh, they. This guy thinks he sees his mom and that gives him enough distraction to attack them. But Superboy goes in, let's not go in guns a blazing. Let's do this stealth- stealthily, which again for Superboy is an incredible restraint. So they run into the leader of the intergang, the notorious Whisper, who I've literally never heard of. Maybe you have more insight <laughs> on. And it looks like the heroes have got this, but then the intergang starts shooting these red circles, which are... A bigger problem than chicken pox, I guess, because they are taking down people (laughs) left and right with these weapons. And as they are running into a corner, we run back to another therapy session where, you know, Black Canary points out to Wally, you had a particularly extreme reaction to Artemis's death. Is anything about that? And he deflects. He tries to hit on Black Canary, but there's something here. And um, when we come back to the fight scene, we get to... One of the biggest backhanded lines from Superboy where the team goes, the team is losing, the heroes are losing, and they go, don't worry, show protectors, protect us. And Superboy goes, who, Dreamer? Damn, dude. <laughs> I don't even know her. Why are you coming at her like that? Damn. So this is where we find out that the she is the new genosphere, sphere, as we are, we know her as. Um, and which leads into also another question that Boy drops out. I was like, wait, she's a she? But they are able to um to find a way to get away from, from the intergang that's here. So as they're able to escape, this leads into the forever people revealing that they have another trick up their sleeve as they hold hands and um sing kumbaya in their heads, but that kumbaya turns them as they shout the name Taru, they merge into Infinity Man, this like 
giant superhero um thing i there's an old cartoon i think with teenagers that used to do the same thing and i'm forgetting the name of it right now but it's it gives me that same energy <laughs> oh i just it's they were like that's the megazord they're forming oh, the megazord <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's the megazord approach too and this um infinity man has a really special skill in which he's able to sh um to shoot laser beams from his eyes and these laser beams apparently disrupts the intergang's technology from um which they reveal is like not actually new genesis technology but um technology from the other and that other being apocalypse so they recognize that it is time for them when they're using this to destroy that technology so when they use the laser blast much like in our previous episode it disintegrates the entire technology um giving them the upper hand unfortunately some members of intergang escape especially Ugly, which was actually Bruno Mannheim, uh, Earthling or Meatbag, I guess, who sides with sides with Dark Side, um, but they are able to capture Whisper, who unfortunately gets left behind, giving them time to question who she is and where she got the technology from. Yeah, and I, I love this because Superboy goes, "I've been remarkably patient for me." What's going on? None of this makes sense, and I'm on your side, Superboy. Mm -hmm. um, but they do reveal that. Um, Desaad, uh, right-hand man, chief torturer on Apocalypse, uh, made a deal with the, the Intergang to get some weapons onto Earth. So now they're trying to interrupt Desaad's plan because whatever plan he has with Darkseid has to be a bad one. They do find out this through a cool Dreamer sequence where Dreamer is able to project the thoughts of Whisper. Mm -hmm. And I do like how instead of saying Darkseid directly, Desaad is like the, you know, the forbidden one, you know, essentially yeah. going all Exodia with it. So it's a cool, <laughs> it's a cool thing. Then we go come back to therapy where Robin admits his issue, his trauma is that as soon as he became the leader, he sent everybody to his, their death. And that he always thought he wanted to grow up to be Batman, but he doesn't have the thing inside Batman that says sacrifice everything for the mission. Um, he doesn't want to be Batman anymore which is really so incredibly insightful. Usually this whole thing with Robin not wanting to be Batman is done because of violence. It's mm -hmm. like something violent happens. He has a big blow up with Batman and that's what drives him apart. So to see him come into that internal revelation himself is really good. I really like this change of pace for the big Robin revelation that I don't want to be Batman and for Black Canary to let him know, you know what? It's okay. You don't have to be that. You can be your own hero is really important here. But now that the deep psychology is gone, let's go back to the Megazord. <laughs> yes. So here we have that the um, Superboy and the rest of the Forever People, they find out that um, through the use of their own mother box, that there is more apocalyptic technology in this like hangar. Superboy can't really detect anything. So they go in kind of guns blazing. And unfortunately, they get take they get hit by two intergang members who has some more apocalypse technology. And then when that happens, um, we see that they are the forever people are about to form Taru once again. This is where we get a chance to see that Desaad has actually come through and he looks over to Mannheim and tells him, throw the father box as the forever people are trying to form Infinity Man. 
this turns Infinity Man from this like yellow golden hero into a very red aggro beast. And it immediately starts attacking Superboy and Wolf. Superboy, you know, he's like, he's like ready to fight. Wolf is ready to fight. He looks over at Spear, tells us like, you gotta be ready to fight. And Spear rolls away. <laughs> to which he says, I don't even blame you. Which yeah. um leads us off to our next therapy session here. The spear did hear the bell for once. Um <laughs> and Megan. You know, obviously she has, she's the one responsible. So she's during the therapy. She goes into her human form and Black Canary's like, you turned white. And Megan's like, what? Great foreshadowing. Great foreshadowing. And she's like, oh, you meant Caucasian. Okay, whatever. Honestly, Um, I feel like that whole scene just needs to to be memed at some point. (laughs) Yeah. You turned white. We'll do a couple TikToks. (laughs) Um. So she's obviously devastated that her skills were used this way. She has so much regret. And Black Canary comes out and says, you know what? My first cry nearly deafened the my first grade class. The only way through, but I can't not talk. So like you can't not use your powers. So you have to practice until you regain confidence. That's the only way to, to get over the phobia. So now we get back to the big fight. Desaad has... Now controlling the Megazord has captured Superboy, wants to make the torture last as long as possible. But this fear just go flies to the Megazord's head, and then Superboy is able to use it as a control panel <laughs> and just save the day. Um yep, that's what happens. And Desad just throws a big bomb and says, I'll get you next time, kids. <laughs> and uh, that's that's how the Forever People storyline wraps up, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so Superboy takes Spear back home um, because originally they were at one point. Spear, unfortunately, does get destroyed a little bit during the battle. However, thankfully, thanks to uh, the Mother Box, it is able to heal itself. And this is where Spear reveals to the Forever People that she wants to stay on Earth with Superboy. So Superboy brings Spear back home to Mount Justice. The rest of the Justice League adults, the Martian Man, Hunter, Batman, Red Tornado, and Captain Marvel, or Shazam, they are investigating and reading through the report of what happened, to which Batman is just like still questioning, like, what the fuck happened? I mean, what happened on his planet? And he is ready to question Superboy about this, but we learn that Superboy decided to resume his therapy session with Black Canary, and this is where he reveals the most the reason why he left during that whole simulation he was witnessing death of everyone around him his closest friends uh, people that he loved and he felt nothing he didn't feel anything about their passing he felt at, at peace even because he what was what he was focusing more on was the fact that without superman there it meant that he had to move up and take on that mantle as Superman. So he's more upset, not because of what of all the death that he saw, but how happy he was for all the death and trauma that was around him because it meant that he could become Superman. And he's so he feels guilty about that. He can't get over that feeling. But Black Canary, once again, being the great um, therapist here, shares that, like, honestly, admitting that emotion is the first step in the next process for you. 
And that's how our episode ends. Um, you know, it's a very touching set of episodes here. So before we finally give you the uh, what was the most whelmed episode of the bunch, we're going to take a look at our healthcare plan to see if Black Canary is part of our in-network coverage. And while we do that, uh, here is a podcast from the Forgotten Entertainment family that you should be listening to the next time you're not listening to us. Hi, I'm Mike Phil. Yeah, I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Generic Ad. Join us every Wednesday as we talk about films that seem to be forgotten by audiences, whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the film, maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. You never know, you might find your own forgotten gem. Forgotten Cinema is available wherever you get your podcasts or at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are a proud part of the Forgotten Entertainment family i swear i talk more in the episodes all right so for big moves here big moves consisted of um volcanoes um the team stepping up to eve to take on the adult here adult villains but more important most importantly too, taking the big moves to acknowledge the fact that they did need to talk to somebody about the trauma that they were experiencing out of our four episodes here andrew which episode you did you feel moved the story along the most aka what was the whelmed episode of the bunch this was uh again very tough these are very good v- four very good episodes and honestly uh disordered could have done it if the forever people mega sword storyline <laughs> wasn't so crazy uh like the therapy stuff was really good hmm. so i came so close to saying fail safe because that was the episode I remember most of Young Justice. It, it is just such a seminal thing. And this is when I was watching it years ago. I was like, OK, this is the episode that has me convinced about the show. But surprisingly for me, humanity emerged. The Red Tornado episode as the most whelmed. Um, it does bring together the end. Not the end, but in one sense, the uh, traitor storyline um, gets some kind of resolution here and it also deepens the mystery around it red tornado gets a really well-told story that is like harkens back to those great episodes of justice league where you get this one-off character you don't think you'd really care about much and you get so in depth into their story and find out so much more that makes you appreciate who they are so much more and it was really a great demonstration of the team working together as a unit to face a threat that even heroes would struggle with. So I really think it is a great showcase of all the characters, of their personalities, introduces Zatanna, who becomes a major part of the series later on, and just deepens the relationships between the characters with some great ups and downs. And that emotional ending, I had forgotten that Red Tornado like sits with his father at the end, his dying father. So after everything he's been through. So I think that really was an affecting episode for me. And I, I was the most whelmed, even though, again, all these episodes were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I agree. These episodes, this was tough to determine because I sat through for all four and I was just like, man, each one was just as amazing as the one right before it and the one after it. Um, and I couldn't even personally pick like a full episode um that can give the most well to but because like each one had like particular scenes that just stuck really well with me like the red tornado talking with you great the um the fact that 
revelation kind of truly set up the team to finally take on like a Justice League level threat. Not even just like the Justice League tackling the, the little fires that are coming up. They were tackling the source. And this is what they've been training to do this entire time. But for me, the thing that the episode that was the most whelmed, I have to go surprisingly with Disordered. I agree. The Forever People storyline was really weird, very <laughs> cheesy, very force-fed, definitely filler if we're going to go with our anime themes throughout this whole set of episodes. But the reason why I felt it moved the story along so much is because um, the therapy sessions were, I think, were an integral part in the character development of each of these each of these individuals. There was, you know, there were some comical moments of, um, you know, it's clear that Artemis and Wally are not actually admitting quite yet that they do have feelings for one another. But Calder even sitting down, and this is the first time where he's actually critically thinking about his team and not just a, how can I be a better leader? It's like, what are the things about my team that I still need to improve before I even could think about stepping away? It's Superboy sharing that, like, it's still a part of him to be Superman. And him finally coming face-to-face with that moment, how does he deal with it? And he shares how he dealt with it, but recognizing how much he had to sacrifice and how okay he was with that, and the fact that he wasn't okay with being that okay with that. But the scene that stuck out the most for me is that Robin scene. Robin and Nightwing is my favorite hero of all time. So, and this scene is exactly why um, Nightwing is my favorite hero because, you know, it's a sign of, it's a story of just like this kid who unfortunately ends up on this dark path because of the trauma that he experienced. And we're expecting him to be a certain kind of person. We're expecting him to be Batman. You know, the way that Bruce Wayne handled his trauma is clearly not this is what we're expecting um, Dick Grayson here to do. But he acknowledges the fact that, like, even during the time in all of failsafe, he did not feel okay with any of his actions because he knew how much he was sacrificing for the sake of the greater good in a way. And to me, it's just like something I think that, like, I've always personally just kind of connected with really well because, um, you know, just, uh, and I think a lot of people agree with this too, is just like in terms of just like their own upbringing, like the connections that they have with family or friends, like having this mindset of just like how they're perceived by people, but recognizing how different they feel inside and having this moment where Robin is just like, I'm supposed to be the dark hero, but I still see so much good and light out in the world that I can't be that. I don't want to be that. So instead of trying to be the stereotype, um, which honestly, to which I think I could do a whole thing on, it's just like kind of connecting it to almost being like Black in America, having that stereotype placed on us of just like being like, we have these stories that we're supposed to fall into, but here it is that we a lot of us don't. We don't fall into a lot of stereotypes that people have about us. And here Robin is saying the same thing. Like, I'm supposed to be the dark hero, but I'm not. I'm never going to be that. I do know that I want to be a hero, but I need to find a different way. And that's why I've always loved Nightwing. And this scene kind of solidified Robin's journey into that for me, because it was like, again, you know, we're always so accustomed to seeing Robin having the big blowout and fighting against Batman, turning it into, um, you know, I'm 
I'm stepping out of your shadow aggressively. But here it is. He's stepping out of the shadow of Batman in, just as you said, in a moment of self-reflection. And I love that scene. So that's why I had to give that part and the rest of the dialogue and conversations that each hero had in their therapy session. That's why for me, this was the whelmed episode of our bunch. Yeah. I mean, maybe because my episode stole so much from Avatar, it was kind of destined <laughs> um, like he Aang was to stop the 100 year war. But mm -hmm. no, yeah, these are all really great, great character studies, great examinations of everybody. Everybody gets their shine really balanced mm -hmm. um so yeah these these are this is a great batch so yeah this is i think this has been the strongest batch we've done this season by far it oh, just yeah. pays off in so many ways there are no static shacks in the bunch you know <laughs> there's no um there's no hoop squad this is like every <laughs> team makes sense uh <laughs> and speaking of team um so unfortunately as i mentioned in our last episode is at this point now in which uh, Greg Weissman kind of stopped writing the stories for um, the comic book issues within this particular time of our hero stories. Issue 20, we kind of step into Young Justice Invasion. So we do not have any comic book um, stories or connections that are coming out of this. Um, we could have talked about the Forever People, but I think we've already talked about them a bit when we first talked about who Darkseid is as they are an integral part to um, his origin in the comic books. So instead, we wanted to take a quick moment to talk about, we saw so many teams come together, especially in this one, as Batman will call them, the secret society of supervillains. Uh, but they're better known as the Injustice League or even the Light. So um, we were thinking about this. And the question I have is, if you had to choose one DC villain throughout the multiverse could be in animation, could be live action through the Arrowverse, te uh, movies, television. Who will who should never be in the Injustice League or be a member of the Light? You know, I was thinking at first, um, Condiment King was mm. a top tier one, but then I remembered somebody who's worse, and that is Codpiece. <laughs> Damn, Codpiece. He's just got a big cannon shooting from his pants, and that's it. That's his whole thing. Mm -hmm. You break the cannon, you're done. It's over. <laughs> um, Doom Patrol at 5% power in live action recently was able to take down Codpiece, just not even really trying that hard to do so. So that means I have a pretty sh good shot at taking down Codpiece as just a regular <laughs> human. I, I don't want this guy on the squad. I'm embarrassed to be around him, to share a room. I can only imagine the jokes. No, thank you. Codpiece, your membership is denied. <laughs> Who are you keeping out of your league? I So I also went through a pretty extensive list of, and I was thinking about it from the perspective of what they, what can they contribute as a member of the team? Now, I thought about condiment king as well i was just mm -hmm. like honestly i would only include him because of the um of our honestly for barbecues like he's gotta be he's gotta come through for the cookout like i feel like it's a guaranteed yeah. invite you know even thought about calendar man but i was just like unfortunately he has an already has that ironclad contract with us so i mean he's i guess he's a member of the justice league in some way shape or form after having us watch batman unlimited 
I even thought about reverse flash because I was just like, he's too focused on Barry. Like we have real world problem, like real world um devastation things that we want to do. And he's too he's gonna be too focused on trying to kick Barry to set down a set of stairs again. But like you, I found the one and I have to agree it is Cosby. <laughs> there is no other villain out there who does not deserve to be in the Injustice League. So again, Codpiece, get out. Afuera, you are you, you do not need to be in here. Your membership has been denied. Yeah, my God, man. When when that guy hook, like I'd even take that hook guy over Codpiece. <laughs> Word. I feel like I feel like Hook has a good hookup for um for some good fish or something. So if we needed some like catfish or something for for eating, he I feel like he'd be good. Odd piece, man. What were they thinking with that one? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You know, if anything, they should have moved up the laser a little bit higher, maybe on the navel. I mean, it works for Ayoyama. So um, you know, my I think that's his name for my my hero academia. <laughs> yeah. So I think. Yeah, it works for him. It's just wrong placement of your weaponry, sir. I feel like you're more of a sexual harassment issue than you are a villain. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a walking suit waiting to happen. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not for it. <laughs> All right, well, that wraps up our episode today with big moves. Um, unfortunately, the one person who's not making any big moves will forever be codpiece. <laughs> <laughs> You know, he, of course, he will never beat out Tuscan and Carmen Dillo. Um, so in the meantime, as we continue on our journey with Young Justice, um, take care of yourselves and remember that I guess it's good to talk to people, y'all. If you can, if you haven't already, if, if you need to, please look into your your Medicare coverage to find a therapist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, if you ever should need anybody to talk to because it is tough doing life alone please find the help that you can yeah and uh, on a completely unrelated note if you build an android put a kill switch in there oh yeah don't don't take the risk it, you're you're gonna die you will die 